Byron, Mississippi. It's Lakeshore Church. Uh, we we stand and honor God's word. Verse number two of uh, John chapter eight. It says this: At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that he might have evidence. They might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted to question him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. Uh, my words to be yours, my thoughts to be yours, and most of all, every one of us, including myself, Lord, we walk in obedience that we make a commitment today, a fresh and anew, to be a grace grower and not a stone thrower. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. There is no other word for God's grace than amazing. We know the old hymn, the amazing grace. And uh, then someone came along and wrote a song in, entitled Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And uh, I love this, the, the, the whole deal about grace is many years ago, um, came across just a simple definition of what is grace? Uh, grace is God's mercy and love tied together. It was his mercy that endured us because he loves us for us to get to a point in him that we needed to be. And then God also expects you and I to operate in that same grace extended to others. Philip Yancey, the writer, um, he, he said it this way, and I love it. it it's, he said, the church is, above all, a place to receive grace. It brings forgiven people together with the aim of equipping us to dispense grace to others. So we are a conduit of God's grace. We receive it, but then we also apply that to other people. This powerful passage, there's much perspective. Uh, I just want to give you some highlights today as we begin uh, it's amazing that the world that we live in, today's messes don't seem to be messes because we've accepted everything as being okay. But this woman's life was a mess. Um, it's amazing how in our world today, well, we're not getting along, we don't love each other, so I'll go commit adultery with someone else. It's almost accepted behavior in our society. Sort of sad. It, it, maybe it's because there's all these other crazy stuff that's out there, so just heterosexual illicit activities, really nothing to it. But this woman was in a mess. And I think America's in a mess too, by the way. But then secondly, the, the church's view or these man, men's view of her mess was messed up too. And, and, and I want you to capture this. The scribes and the Pharisees of that day were the church folk. So they were messed up because they really didn't see the mess of the woman. There was no value because they were out trying to trap Jesus. They really didn't have much value of the woman's issues. They were using her, if you will. And then thirdly, and I love this part, where do we find Jesus? Where do we find the Messiah? When we're, when we're messed up, what is Jesus' take on our messes? This is some good stuff. Remember, as we unpackage this today, I'll say it several times, that the stone is easy. You need to get this. Stone throwing at other people is easy. Grace growing 
is tough. I haven't done this in a while. I started doing it during COVID and we were in the, we converted the prayer room into our studio and those are some great memories that I'll never forget. But uh, I, I used to do a page of scriptures and, and, and sort of carry that over and, and now I, I integrate them more in the sermon. But today I wanna show you some things about God's grace that we need to hear and just pillars, if you will. But in Titus chapter two, verse 11, we find a, a, a verse about God's grace. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. All people. You know, there's a lot of theology and it would hurt a lot of people in this room because of their background, but there's a major theologies that are out there that believe God didn't die for all, he died for some. It's called predestination, it's called election. And really people believe that not everybody can be saved. And, and I'll just tell you this, if that was true, then this verse wouldn't say all people, it would say some people. Let me tell you something, folks. God didn't die for some people. He died for all people. And salvation, the table of salvation is set for every person. I'll tell you this, you need to hear even Judas. Judas made the wrong choices in his life. But when we go down the slippery slope of theology that says that not everybody can be saved, if that's everybody might not be you and me. <laughs> Listen to me. God's grace, secondly, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, before our faith, there was grace, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's, a God's, it's God's gift. I'll remind you that before you accepted Christ and had faith in Jesus Christ, God's grace had already been poured out and extended to you to come to that place. Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us were born in sin. Every one of us had sinned enough to spend eternity in hell, but God's grace was poured out on us and extended us to bring us to a place of understanding and faith in Jesus Christ. So grace was even before faith because God bestowed it upon us. Second Peter chapter three, verse 18. I know I'm going fast. Just write it down. Look it up. It'll be on Facebook. Second Peter chapter three, verse 18 says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and the day of, into the day of eternity. You and I grow in grace. Again, stone throwing is easy. Picking up a stone and, and, and doing something to someone else is easy, but growing in grace and extending grace to others, maybe when we think they don't even deserve it is the hard part. Grow in grace, not just in, in knowledge of the Lord, but grace, all right? Now, last but certainly not least, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine says, and I love it. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. What was going on here is that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Uh, there's different opinions on what that is. Many believe it's spiritual warfare. Some think it was Paul's eyesight. Uh, I even heard preachers say before they thought it was a wife, but he was never married. Okay, there you go. All right, stay with me. But he asked God to remove it. And God spoke to him and said, I'm not going to remove it, but my grace is sufficient for you. Listen to me, church. We need to hear this. There are things that you go through in your life that why they come about, we don't know. Why they stay, I don't know. Why God allows us to be on a certain path of those things. Sometimes there are things that come to us that are not of our own doing, but it's God's plight for us or God's path for us in our life. His grace is sufficient for you. If, if there's hardships, God's grace is sufficient for us. Again, the stone is easy. It's easy to go the world's way. And I want to tell you something. It's not just about murder. It's not just about assassinating somebody. It's not just about executing somebody like they were wanting to do to her. But there's a lot of types of stones that we throw at other people. Listen to me, folks. James said it's a, it's a, it's a member of our body that no man can tame. Only God can tame it. But a lot of people with their tongue, they have opinions about other people. I'm one of the worst. If, if I see something, I have an opinion automatically. But if that opinion is not of God and it doesn't bring glory and honor to it, that's just a stone that I have if I, if I offer that verbally. 
We slander other people. We hear rumor and rumor told a few times becomes fact and we don't know what we're talking about. And I know this is tough, but I can tell you as a pastor, there's been times I've heard people say things and they, know, they think they know what they're talking about. And as a pastor, I've been involved in it and I know they don't know what they're talking about. Because so we take conjecture or we take opinion or we take rumor and it becomes a stone where we assassinate someone else's character. Wow. We say critical words and, and we devalue. How many times God's convicted me because I am a wordy person and I say things and it breaks my heart. But how many times we devalue someone else in God's creation for whatever reason. Maybe it's to build myself up. Maybe it's to tear them down. Maybe it's to stand on them. Maybe it's for me to feel better or whatever, some weird, senseless way. But we do it. We pick up a stone. Mm. We show no mercy. We show no love. And we surely don't show grace. Therapy for me. I've had to use this hundreds and hundreds of times. No one gets there by themselves. I have in, in 30, oh, there won't be many more years, it'll be 40 years of ministry, 36, 37 years of ministry, I have dealt with some horrific things. I think all pastors do. And I'm talking about personal things, professional things that we've dealt with. And how many times God's broken my heart because I've some, I did a summation, I thought I knew what I was talking about, and when I get the whole story, I didn't know. And then all of a sudden I've offered an opinion or I've been critical or I've devalued. And then when I get the full story, man, how conviction overflooded my soul. And God taught me this principle when it comes to grace and grace growing instead of stone throwing. And it's this, no one gets there by themselves. I could tell you two or three stories that are amazing. That the activity that somebody was doing in their life, which was despicable, they were taught that or they were violated by someone else and it became a part of their DNA in their everyday life. And so how dare me throw a stone instead of grow grace in their life? Now you notice the last minute, I was talking about me. It must have been strange hearing Jesus say this because he was going against the very law that they had been taught. It must have been strange because they thought they had him, but their motivation was all wrong. And how God enlightened them is that you and I can have all of these principles and we're doing them, we're speaking the truth. That's another good one that just comes to mind. I've had people say, well, preacher, I'm just speaking the truth. You know what the scripture says? Speak the truth in love. And let me tell you something, when they were talking to me, I didn't feel much love in it. Hmm. Because we're more like the scribes and the Pharisees. When I just talk about this story, when I think about it, there's some observations I want to give to you today. Something you never preached before. It's really, really unique. I'm excited about it except for the, the, the weight of it. These observations, number one, I want to share with you about the finger of God. We must know today and establish once and for all and again and again and again that Jesus is deity. He is God. In the beginning was the word and the word's with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word. Amen. We established that last week and go back and listen to it and watch it. What did he write? <laughs> I, I, I've often been questioned that and wondered when he stooped down those two times and he wrote in the ground, what, what did he write? We don't have any evidence of what it was. I have my opinions. Hmm. We do know something happened because from the oldest to the youngest, they all went their way and left the woman there right in front of Jesus by herself. And I began to think about the finger of God. The finger of the God, the, the, the one and only begotten son, the deity son of God, he wrote in the ground with his finger. I began to think, and just thinking about this, there have been many times that God's written things for you and me. We sit in a church service like this today. Maybe there's already been some of you, so how did he know? How did he know I had that critical opinion? Who called him? I wonder who called him and told him about it. 
And we already have this moment. Let me tell you what's going on right now. That the finger of God through the Holy Spirit's work right now is, is putting his finger on things that are in our life. See, God doesn't leave us alone. He wants us to get closer to him so that we can be more like him in our life. The finger of God. And the finger of Jesus Christ reached down into the dust of the earth. And I believe he wrote men's names and their sins upside down so that they could read it, by the way, for them to know what was going on. Something happened. I began to think about some other things about the finger of God. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, it says, when he finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, stone tablets inscribed, how? By the finger of God. So here we have God, way back in the Old Testament when he's teaching them to be a social group and how teaching them to live right in their own way with his own finger showing them what not to do and what to do. Now, Jesus, with his own finger, very well could have been showing the things that were wrong in other people's lives. Not only that, but the finger of Jesus Christ was touching the dust, just like God Almighty has touched you and me. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Our only hope today, listen to me very carefully, our only hope today is for the righteous finger of Almighty God to touch the dust of you and me, our individual lives, and make us a living being for eternal value for Jesus Christ. Mm. <laughs> I wrote it down this way. He wrote in the dust and breathed on them with his words. And you know what? I could think of no better picture than our worship today. Mm. That God puts his finger on our life and he breathes on us today. Or two or three gather together in his name, he'll be there in the midst. So we have the first finger. Secondly, another one comes to mind of the finger of God. We also have the first stone. Strange becomes strong when Jesus shares a great truth and a great reminder for you and me about grace. Again, I mentioned to you something happened. We don't know what it was, but it happened. Jesus did something. The, the, he, he dispersed the mob with what he did. This is a great reminder, too, that you and I don't ever need to forget where we came from. There's something that happens in church work. I've seen it many times that I've been so guilty that we forget sometimes and we departmentalize God's grace and how far God reached down to us. There's a man by the name of Walt Sheffield. He's been in glory for many, many years. He was just a country guy. He played the guitar. He didn't play it like Daniel. He was just a country guitar player, Daniel. A lot of strumming, I remember. But he used to sing a song when I was growing up, and the song was entitled, God Reached Further Down Than I Could Reach Up. And sometimes in God's grace and how far we've come, we don't need to forget where we came from. I can only imagine how bad a sinner some of you guys were. Just look around. There's some good ones in the room, all right? We're not going to have a contest. But we don't need to forget where God brought us from. Amen? I think sometimes, and this is sort of sad in this, this story, is here you have scribes and Pharisees, supposed to be religious, elite people, and yet, somehow or another, we departmentalize and we forget where we came from and the sin that we have or the sin that we've been doing. And they just took this woman totally for the value. She would devalued her. Mm. Don't need to forget where we came from. I've often said that one of these days in ministry, I'm going to preach a series of sermons entitled Jude chapter 2. I don't know if you know this, but there's no Jude chapter 2. Jude only has one chapter. But through my life, I've heard a lot of people even quote scripture that's not scripture, by the way. Some of them are things like this. In Jude chapter 2, there's a verse that says God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> that's in guideposts, not the Bible, by the way. 
There's another verse in Jude chapter 2 that says, this too shall pass. It's not in the Bible. There's another one in Jude chapter 2 that says, love the sinner but hate the sin. That's not in the Bible. There's another one. Yes, the principle is there, but the words are not. God helps those who help themselves. That's not. And my favorite that I thought was in there until I was probably in the ministry for 10 years is cleanliness is next to godliness. I love my mama and I think she's a Bible scholar. I think she quoted that as the Bible before. If she didn't, she sure made it sound that way. I want to go back and take some of them baths I had to take as a child when she would say that. But the principle is there. Maybe it's not in print, but we have the principle. But here's the one for today. That's not in the word of God, but it sounds like it is, is this, and it's for this point. Except for the grace of God, there go I. We need to hear this, church. We don't need to forget where we came from, and we need to thank Almighty God with a heart of gratitude, Daniel, and thinking that I didn't have to be born to the family I was born to. I didn't have to be exposed to the gospel or be taken to church. I heard John Hagee say he grew up with a drug problem. I went, first time I heard him say, I went, what? John Hagee had a drug problem? He said, yeah, my mom and dad drugged me to church every chance they got. I was drugged to church. But thanks be to God I was. And I was exposed to the good news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ for my life. But except for the grace of God, I could have been born to somebody that didn't care about God at all. How dare me? And I say this with a repentant attitude and heart. How dare me be a stone thrower instead of a grace grower? Hmm. How dare me devalue somebody else that God puts value in? How dare me at the expense of someone else? I promote myself and I step on their head so I can get ahead. And all the time God says, be a grace grower and not a stone thrower. You without sin, you pick up the first stone. Heavy conviction. Often we hide behind things that other people have done because we don't want ours out in the light. Mm. So we would rather throw a stone, pick up a stone, then grow grace for others in our life. Thirdly, one more observation here is there is a fit for everyone. <laughs> oh, wow. No one, listen to me, no one is beyond God's grace. I know some hard-hearted people, do you? I, I've had this sensation in church before. I've been sitting here and say, how in the world, the move of God today, how, how great God's, how, how his... Uh, his presence has been today. How in the world somebody could walk away from here and not be up to date with the Lord? It's beyond me. Hmm. If you've come today with a bag and you've come today with a lot of baggage, how dare you leave this church today without giving it to the Lord with the presence of the Lord been in this place today? How dare me leave today without having my burdens lifted at Calvary? That's hard for me to... There's a fit for everybody. And sometimes we're guilty. We almost think somebody's beyond grace. No, no. You know why? Because God's grace is amazing. It can reach into the gutters. One said, said it can reach into the guttermost and save us to the uttermost. There's a fit. But listen to me, church. It's not easy. I wrote it down this way for you to see it. It takes energy and effort to extend grace to others. It's not something that's just, it's just caught Oh, no, son, I believe, I believe being a grace girl is something that you're taught. It's something that you work on every day that you're conscious of. You're conscious when you open your mouth and you're critical and you have an opinion. And when you hurt somebody that God puts value in and you devalue them. 
One of the saddest parts of this story that I've never preached before is these men were using this woman because they had an agenda toward Jesus. They put no value on her. None. She was just collateral damage. Collateral advantage, if you will. Put no value on her. And yet God comes along and he says, you and I are supposed to value others as much as we value ourselves. There's a young man who's in glory. Three months before he passed away in a tragic car accident, he accepted the Lord in a revival that we had. What's real ironic is his first name is Jonathan. His last name is Frazier. You might not know this, but Zane's first name is Jonathan. I remember when Jonathan Frazier, the baseball player that I coached, and Zane, my son, I can remember them first time having that conversation. I don't even know if Zane remembers he was so small. But I said maybe for the first time ever publicly at his funeral, Jonathan came from a very tough background. God used Jonathan in an amazing way in my life to, for me to extend grace and not be a stone thrower. Jonathan had a lot of issues in his life, a lot of them. When he walked the aisle that night, he was dating a girl in our church at that time, and I had the privilege of praying with him and seeing him saved, and God radically changed his life. You could tell inwardly, but he had a lot of outward issues. And three months later, he died of some of these issues that were going on. But I remember saying at the funeral that I believe in God's grace, but I don't believe it's a greasy grace. I don't believe God promotes a greasy grace. And what I mean by that is we get saved and we think today we're under grace. So that's a license for me to go live however I want to live. And God's grace is sufficient. God, God's grace will cover it because God's grace is bigger than anything I can do. So folks, we need to understand that God has a commitment that he expects us to make after grace has been bestowed upon us. Amen. I want to show it to you. Romans chapter six, one and two. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? <laughs> in other words, after I've been saved and grace has been bestowed upon me, then I can just go out and sin because I'm under grace. Absolutely not. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Wow. Absolutely not. The King James says, God forbid. Should I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We're not talking about a greasy grace here, folks. I want you to understand when I talk about God's grace, God it holds us accountable. God expects us to be different. I'll show it to you in verse number 11, the last verse in this. He said to her, she, he said, where are those that accused you, <laughs> condemned you? And she said to him, no one, Lord. She answered, neither do I condemn thee. He said, Jesus, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. It's not a greasy grace, but everyone fits. And I want you to hear me say this today. You might not feel like a scribe. You might not feel like a Pharisee. You might not feel like a leader. You don't have the talent that you saw up here on the stage today. You don't have the gifts that you've seen other people. You might think you're the lowest person on the totem pole, but I want you to hear me say this today. You fit in the kingdom of God. <laughs> if an adulterous woman fits, we fit. Amen? Hmm. Oh, it's good stuff. Rick Warren, a great pastor out, and I think he's retired now. He's emeritus. But I wrote Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church. I found this about grace, and it's so good. He said, in God's garden of grace, even a broken tree can bear fruit. <laughs> we, you might think you're a broken tree in God's garden. Brother Jay, I'm just over there in the side of the garden. I ain't out there for everybody to look at. I'm over there in the hidden part. But even broke down trees in God's garden of grace still bear fruit. 
That's good stuff. Everyone, that applies. Let me end. Here's where we are. I want to end where he ended with her. In verse number 10, he said to her, where are your accusers? Where are all those guys that were accusing you? What, what happened? <laughs> Where'd they go? She said, there's no one, Lord, in verse number 11. I've lived out this joyous truth for, for years. There's sometimes, I went through years of my life and spirituality where I thought I had to live up to everything. God's only going to love me if I live up to it. God's only going to love me if I accomplish this. Or God's only going to love me if I, he's only going to be proud of me. If, and you know what? I realized that uh, there's not one thing I can do for God to be, to love me any more than he already loves me. Huh. Not one thing I can do for God to love me less. <laughs> he's exhausted his love for me by opening the door of redemption for me. And I want to tell you this, that, you know, there's something that I wrote down. She already knew that he didn't condemn her. I don't know if you can catch this in the story, but here's, here's, here's these guys. They're elites, if you will. Now they're taking this woman that's been caught in the mess of her life, and they're dragging her probably by her hair of her head. She might not even have clothes on. And it says they put her in the center out in front of the Lord, and they said to the Lord, now Moses said for us to stone her. What do you say? And so, so he was in a place of authority. They're asking him as authority, if you will. So somewhere in her mind, she had to connect the mob of righteous people, isn't that sad, with Jesus. But years ago, this joyous truth that God showed me is that she already realized that Jesus didn't condemn her. Huh. He didn't say he did till afterwards. He didn't until afterwards. But she already recognized the way he handled her, her, his facial expression, his love, his grace. The way he handled her in a righteous way, she already recognized that the one in front of her did not condemn her. And he hadn't said it yet. She already knew that he didn't. It's good stuff. And I've come to tell you today, listen to me, that junk in your life, he doesn't condemn you. That mess you made, every time you try to grow, he brings it up. I can't tell you how many times people in, in, in ministry and in personal life, people think the circle is so much bigger than it is. Everybody knows what I did. I can't tell you hundreds of times I've told people the circle's not that big. A lot of stuff, we're, we're playing that stuff in our mind. The enemy wants to keep us there. And that stuff that we did, yes, we made mistakes in our life. Yes, there's been embarrassment in our life. But I've come to tell you today that Jesus doesn't operate in condemnation. John three sixteen, you know it, don't you? For God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Watch this. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God's not about condemnation. He's about justification. God about, he's about redemption. Often, listen to me, it's going to hurt a little bit, but often as human beings, we'd rather be critical and condescending all the time hiding our own things. If I can highlight someone else, then the light's off me, and therefore somehow in some weird way we feel better. Huh. That's really what they were doing. I think that's what's told in the story, seen in it. The mess of their life, they were hiding by highlighting the mess of her life. And I've already said it, the sadness is they didn't value her at all. Hmm. When you and I pick up a stone, the next time, maybe today. <laughs> I hope this hadn't happened. I hope you haven't thought about picking up a stone for me, all right? <laughs> huh? But the next time you reach to get that stone, hmm? for Jay, it's when I take that breath and I'm fixing to say something that's not going to bring glory to the Lord. 
I got an opinion and all of a sudden I'm just crucifying somebody with my tongue. Because I have an opinion and sometimes my opinions don't know what I'm talking about. And even if it's true, remember, speak the truth in love. Hmm. But the next time you reach to get a stone, just remember that God called us to grow grace. Hmm. They didn't get there by themselves. But how many times God broke my heart by reminding me that he died for them too.